following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. I think that it is important for us to hear and experience uh, the liturgy of children in front of us and around us regularly. Uh, so it's a good reminder for us, and you've heard me say this before, that when we have children in our service who make a distraction and make it difficult for you to pay attention, take it as an opportunity to rejoice in the Lord and to remember that that is exactly what's going on here, that we are calling Dave and Heather and Josh and Ashley and, and Dan and Jen to raise these children up to know and love Jesus Christ. It is an incredible opportunity for us to come with them and pray for them because uh, they cannot do this in and of themselves. It must be by God's power, and he's given us to them to be a blessing. That reminds us also of all the other children in our midst who are a relatively young church, and we thank God for his grace in these ways. It's no accident in one sense, too, that we do these things and uh, walk for life uh, this past weekend reminds us of our own nation who uh, takes life very unseriously um, and does not give dignity to those who are made in the image of God. And so we want to rightly thank God for what he has done and rejoice with these families as they continue to work at this difficult task. Um, welcome. I, I just want to start out by saying that I'm, I'm so thankful each week we see a few more people back joining us um, from different parts of uh, our congregation that haven't been able to join for one reason or another. So we're thankful for that. I just want to remind you to love one another. Sometimes that means giving people space. Sometimes that means go give them a hug. Just make sure that you are a little bit aware of that and pray for one another as we are still missing those who are at home. So we're not forgetting you. We love you at home. We're missing you. We're praying for you regularly, and we long for you to be back with us soon. Uh, I want you to listen as I just read two verses to start us off, and then we're going to pray. Uh, I'm going to read Galatians 6, 9, and 10, um, and then we'll pray together. So Galatians 6, 9, and 10, this is the word of God. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray together. God, as Jordan has led us in thinking about and then praying for these families, I pray for your congregation now across the world. We thank you for your people. We thank you for the encouragement they are to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for those that have assembled today to gather to sing praises to your name and to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We give you honor and praise and glory. And Lord, we just cry out that we're dependent on you. We cannot do what you have called us to do by ourselves. So we look to you, our ultimate good and glorious helper. We thank you for your grace and ask, us, ask this morning that you would help us as we open the word, as we talk together, as we consider what you have done. May all honor and glory and praise be to your name alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, well, as I prepared to preach today, this Mother's Day, I did not want to go back and double up on texts or ideas that maybe we had done in previous Mother's Day sermons. So I went back on our website and I took a look at all the different Mother's Day sermons that we've preached over the last couple of years. And um, I found something that was kind of a slightly strange tradition. Uh, our normal course of action 
is to not preach Mother's Day sermons on Mother's Day. Um, it, it was kind of strange, but not that we are against mothers, obviously, but historically we haven't singled them out on this day for a special sermon. However, today I'm going to single them out. Um, but before we do that, I just want to give you a little taste of what we've done over the past few years and see what I mean here. Back in 2015, I preached a message from Mark 10, 1 through 12, which covered the topic of divorce, remarriage, and adultery. Um, not necessarily pleasant Mother's Day topics, but that's what we preached. Now, in 2016, Caleb Coaston preached a message on I am the vine, you are the branches from John 15. Now, if you haven't been around that long, that is like Caleb's go-to text, and we enjoyed that very much, but it definitely wasn't about mothers. Uh, in 2017, Stacy preached from Galatians 3 with the title of the sermon being Why the Law? Uh, this, I'm, I'm not making this up. In 2018, Stacy also preached, remember this is the time that we were having this transition, and he preached his second farewell sermon, the second part of that, from 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31. Uh, it had nothing to do with mothers, but the sermon was only 15 minutes long, and arguably uh, was one of the most appreciated Mother's Day gifts that's ever happened here at Cornerstone. In 2019, I preached, uh, that was a sermon from Joshua 8, we're going through Joshua, that's about Joshua and Israel renewing the covenant with God. Uh, then last year, if you remember, we were not in this room together. Last year, we were all on our own couches back at home, tuning in via live stream on uh, the YouTubes and learning about Ephesians 2, 1 through 4, which, of course, if you know anything, is about the fact that we are dead in our sins. So uh, if I was doing it, I wouldn't probably choose this batch of sermons to, you know, tie up in a bow and hand to my mother, necessarily, uh, but it's kind of the way that we've done it. I look back at these messages, though, and these sermons, um, and I'm thankful for faithful preaching to the truth of the gospel uh, and realize that it is right for us once in a while, though, to take a topic and to be thankful for what it is in and of itself. It's right for us to acknowledge that this day signifies something very important and special and God-given. The fact that he has made mothers to be an important part of what it means to be a family and the people of God. It is a God-ordained thing and really is irreplaceable. We praise God for what he's done and we are thankful for what he's done in our own midst and there's this high and holy calling of motherhood. Um, so I'm not going to preach kind of a full sermon today. We're going to exegete a bunch of different stuff and work through one text, but more or less share some pastoral thoughts with you concerning motherhood, if we will. One of the difficulties, though, in preaching a Mother's Day sermon for mothers is the fact that it can be very painful for some people. I understand that all, not all of us have had a wonderful relationship with our own mothers. Maybe we've lost our mothers. Maybe we've tried to be mothers and couldn't be mothers. Maybe we've lost children. All these things help us recognize that this is not all flowers and perfection. Sometimes it's very difficult. And we want to remind each other, though, the comfort that we have in Jesus Christ. The comfort isn't in someone necessarily only saying, it's going to be okay, just don't think about it. No way. We know that that won't do it. I want to recognize up front that there is comfort only in Jesus Christ. I'm praying for you as I, as I thought this way. I thought about several different situations in our own congregation where I prayed by name, thinking through all of these different hurts and knowing that that is not easy at this time. Uh, but I want to remind you of one thing in 2 Corinthians 1, 5, and 7. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Verse 7, 
He says, our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. The only way that we can have this comfort, just letting you know, is by faith and by the love of Christ that he has worked in his people. And so I want to call you to regularly be praying for one another and offer that comfort and love in Jesus Christ. Never counseling, it's going to be okay. Because guess what? It's not. It's only going to be made right in Jesus Christ. And as we point to him, we find our true comfort and that which will last. Now the other difficulty, or maybe the danger, of preaching to one section of the church is that the rest of the body tunes out. Not everybody in this room is a mother. I understand that. But hopefully as we go through the text of Scripture, you will see that this is not only applicable to mothers, but rather to the entire body of Christ. So with that being said, I want to start us off considering the work of motherhood. Particularly, I want to draw our attention to the hardship of motherhood. The long nights, the endless work, the embarrassing situations trying to figure it out with your kids, the walking into the middle of a service and everyone looks at you, all these kind of different things. The responsibility for us to raise happy, healthy, productive human beings in the midst of a society that thinks it should be just something put over here to like some sort of daycare. I want to acknowledge that motherhood is all about sacrifice. It's all about the giving of the self. And please notice that I say I want to acknowledge it. Um, I think I know my crowd. I know you. I pray for you regularly. I love you. My goal isn't to call you ladies who are mothers to sacrifice. I've already watched it happen over and over and over again. I watch it in very practical terms. I watch it in over countless different pastoral issues where I watch you mothers sacrifice for your families and for your children. And so I want to acknowledge these things. There are some of you who are brand new moms, some that were up here today, who are literally falling asleep right now because you've sacrificed your body and sleep in the past 24 or 48 hours. The constant, rigorous schedule to keep this person alive is something that is something that requires sacrifice. Some of you are in a different stage of life where you sacrifice your desires and good ambitions to serve your children in all the ways that the world sees as second class or as menial things. And there are some here with us today who have been moms for many, many years and carry a great deal of weight of the children who did not turn out the way that they wanted them to or perhaps do not know Christ. And I know that you pray and you cry and you love and you give of yourself. You sacrifice time and sleep and money in the ongoing but slightly different task of mothering adult children. Motherhood has always been about sacrifice. You've probably heard some variation of the statement, behind every great man there is an even greater woman. Of course, Dwight Schrute in the TV show The Office replies, false, behind every great man is his shadow. Uh, but the sentiment is still true, right? So you're still getting that. Um, sometimes this can be referring to a woman who is a wife or a friend. But always, it is almost always true of a mother who has come along and formed a child. There are countless stories of mothers who have given their lives for their children, literally their physical lives, given them up so the other would live. Stories of mothers who have given up each and every part of their life for the betterment of the children's success. And so they might have a better life than they did. I don't think I have to convince you that this is a natural and wonderful inclination for mothers or that is something that you ought to be doing. I think often you understand that that's what you have to do. Instead, I want to begin our time, though, by commending you for your godly and worthy endeavor 
of motherhood. It is right for us to both acknowledge and celebrate moral good that leads to human flourishing. We thank God for you and for your work to build human beings who will be our future. It's true. As the poet writes concerning this valiant woman, a mother in Proverbs 31:31, let her works praise her in the gates. Today, I just want to acknowledge the sacrifice and celebrate the beauty of selfless, godly service. And I want to thank those mothers who've entered into this good work. But the rest of our time, I also want to provide you with the biblical encouragement that what you are doing is and should be worship to God. Now that's for all those that are in the midst of this task of mothering, and that's where you're, we're probably going to spend most of our time here today for those of you that still have children and, and are still doing that. But I, I just want to also cast it a little bit wider. Some of you that perhaps don't have children, maybe you're single, maybe you are, have lost a husband and don't have children or something like that. The scriptures are pretty clear, actually, to us for what women are to do for one another and for the men who are in their midst as well. They are to teach other women to love their husbands, to love their children, to uphold them, and to do what is right. As, as Paul talks to Titus, he makes this very, very clear. And we realize that what Paul is saying is that the regular, and if I can put it this way, mothering of women to other people is a spiritual discipleship. So I'm not only talking about physically uh, just doing the ins and outs of being a mother. I'm talking to each and every one of us as we make sacrifices to love and nurture life in those around us. So we all know that motherhood calls for constant sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of time. It's even a sacrifice of health. It's a sacrifice of sleep. Maybe even a sacrifice of our dreams, of our, our, our own pride or prestige or power. A sacrifice of career. Sacrifice of freedom and autonomy. A sacrifice of our own bodies. And I say our, I don't mean me. I mean you ladies and what this means. A sacrifice of money and all kinds of different resources given over to this. But I want to ask, why do you do it? Some of you maybe haven't thought about it too much, but why? I mean, this sacrificial, godly motherhood accomplishes a lot of important things. I mean, it's an act of service to our society. It's an act of service to our families. It's an act of service to our church. It's an act of service to the child who was raised as well. I mean, it's a picture of the strength and true grit that is actually given by God. It also, if you want to think of this for a minute, it displays the love of God in a powerful way that a man cannot do. Even just from a, a secular perspective, we recognize that sacrificial motherhood builds humans for the future. It is preparing the next generation to live and breathe on this earth. And just from a secular perspective also, the call to sacrificial motherhood produces a good thing. It is right and good. But I want us to stop and ask ourselves, have we grown weary in the process? And if we have, because inevitably, if you're a mother, you have grown weary in the process at one time or constantly, we ask ourselves, what are we doing? And why are we doing this exactly? What's the purpose in all of this? I mean, why not give it for someone else to do this? Why not cut corners and get past this stage as soon as possible and get on with regular life? Why should I give my thoughts, my prayers, my time, my money, my body, my sanity to the task of motherhood? What is your central motivation for continuing sacrificial motherhood?
It certainly isn't that you come here uh, one Sunday out of 52 in the year and hear me say, good job, moms, way to go. So why do you do it? Uh, I just offer a few things. Is motherhood something that suits you? Maybe you're, maybe you're quite good at it and define your success. It's a way of making something of your life. Or is it because you find fulfillment in motherhood? It brings you joy and happiness. You feel like somebody, because you recognize the high calling of raising children into adults, and this is a worthy endeavor. Or maybe uh, it's the love for your family and husband and commitment to him. Perhaps he's asked you to do this full-time and you desire to partner with him and stay at home and take care of children so that you can move the ball forward and help your children in this way. Or, and this is probably more common, is it because your children are so precious to you, are so valuable to you, because you love them so much. You value them and it will you'll do whatever it takes to give them a good chance at this life. Or maybe you haven't given that much thought to it, and you're so tired out and just going through the motions that you're like almost robotic, and you, know, you, you haven't really thought it through in very many times lately to say, hmm, what is going on? What exactly am I doing, and why am I sacrificing constantly? I know enough to know I've had, I've had four children and, and, and several years now, and I have not sacrificed the way my wife does, and I realize there are times where you just are exasperated and say, why am I doing this over and over and over again? I think that all these situations can be true of us. All these can become motivations for mothers to act sacrificially and to give of themselves in the task of motherhood. But when the exhaustion gets real, when you feel like your work is amounting to nothing, when no, around, when no one around you seems to be acknowledging your sacrifice, we start to see motherhood as a wearisome task. Maybe it's just a necessary evil. It's just got to get done. Like someone's got to do it, and I guess God made mothers to do it, so I got to do it. I guess I'll sacrifice because I have to. If this has ever been the case for you, Christian sister, may I just tell you this? Take heart. There is a better motivation and one that will yield eternal glory. I want us to turn to Romans 12. And we're going to look at the first two verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And by the way, this, isn't pass, this passage isn't tailor-made for mothers alone. It's for all the Christians everywhere. I simply want to spend more time today applying it to mothers, but you will all see its relevance here as we get to it. So if you're looking for a better motivation, one that is founded on God's blessing and that will yield eternal glory, listen to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, if you are reading along in this passage and you've read Romans 1 through 11, you get to the end of Romans 11 and you have to break out in song. And if you take a look at Romans 11, right above what we just did, that's exactly what Paul does. He breaks out in this song, and we'll get to that in a minute. Romans 1 through 11, though, shows us the utter depravity and hopelessness of mankind, both of Jews and of Gentiles. All have sinned, and there is no hope for anyone. But then Paul weaves together all the parts of history and proclaims the glory of God's grace in the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
In short, it has all come about because of God's abundant mercy. And that's exactly what he tells us here. If look at Romans 11, 30 through 32, I'll read it. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Now keep on going and let's read into Paul's breakout jam session here, his praise to God, his tripping over himself to properly give praise and honor to all the God of kindness and wisdom and mercy. Verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This morning, we have already taken time to read the scriptures, to hear the glory of God's might and blessings to his people. We've sung songs that extol him about his mighty salvation work. We've prayed prayers of confession that God hears and has forgiven us of our sin. We've recounted the gospel and praised him for his wonderful works throughout all creation. In a sense, then, what we've actually been doing is Romans 11, 33 through 36, or 34 through 36. We believe that it is right to count this God as the one of the nations over all the world. We believe that our God is great and rich in mercy. We believe it to the point that we come here and we worship and we sing and we give our money because we know who this God is. We believe and therefore we worship. But Paul says that the Holy Spirit has come and made us a new people that no longer express our faith and worship only at a building, at a tabernacle, at a, at a temple, but at all times in our own bodies. Look at verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or spiritual worship. The book of Romans turns on this very verse from the indicative to the imperative. What I mean by that is it's been telling us all that God has done in his people, and now he's telling us, respond. You, you can't just have this and just leave it. If this is true, if this is the God who says he is and all that he says he has done is true, we are to respond. You should have something that comes out of us. That's why he says, therefore, because of all that I've just told you, because of my vast mercy, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, although it's always been true, even in the Old Testament, here in Romans 12, it is laid out in brilliantly clear terms. The Lord demands more than our giving sacrifices and offerings. He does demand that, but he demands more than that. He demands the giver, me, you, not just the gifts. He demands all of us. He has right over every square inch of creation, including his people. He demands the whole person. This is what he means by presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. It's a way to say that our whole person is given over to living for God's service and glory. It's to be a sacrifice that is holier, set apart, not one that is of our own liking, 
not one that has lived in continual sin or self-glory. It is a holy and acceptable offering to God. Paul then reminds us that this is true worship. Now, the word that you see here in your ESV, it says spiritual worship, right? And that's right. It's a good translation. Maybe if you had an older or different translation, you might have a reasonable act of worship. That's also a helpful word here. There's a lot going on here. And although the inner man is absolutely important, essential, this idea of spiritual worship, the word is wider than that. And what he's really trying to get down here is that it's the whole person and engaged in true worship. Not only that it is reasonable, although it certainly is reasonable, he's saying that this is true, spiritual, reasonable worship as we respond to God with our whole life given over to him. A life given over to God is what he requires and what he takes joy in. Now, we're not surprised by this, even from the Old Testament, because we know he's talked about more than just our sacrifices and our offerings. Think about Psalm uh, 51, 17. This is David. Remember this? He talks about sacrifices. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Right down to the center. The broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. He certainly does want sacrifices and gifts, but not with an empty heart that does not have true worship at its center. He desires everything, starting down at the deepest parts of our hearts. For it is from here that the rest of our lives will be lived out in true worship and obedience. That's this is why Jesus gets to the very heart and says, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is where it begins and it flows from. Paul calls us to respond to the glory of God, the mercy that he has shown us by living sacrificial lives unto God. Not to others, not to our children, but unto God. So let's go back and restart it. So I've just kind of talked through Romans 12, 1 and 2. Why is it that you as mothers sacrifice yourselves? I recognize that I am making a connection to this word sacrifice, but the concept of motivation and true worship is a legitimate connection here. We use the word sacrifice to describe the works of mothers, and rightly so, in the sense that it is at the expense of yourself, of the mother. But we know that this is truly to be called sacrifice, if it is to be truly called sacrifice, it always has an object of worth. No one sacrifices for nothing. Everyone sacrifices for something. Do you understand the language that's going on there? It's literally an act of worship to do something like this. When we sacrifice for something, someone, somebody, it is an act of worship. This should actually scare us all a little bit because we throw that word sacrifice out a lot. It always does. It's always been for the sake of something or someone. So, again, let me go back to the question. Why do you mother your children? What's the purpose? Why do you change diapers and drive kids to practice and work on Bible verses and correct childish behavior? Why do you endure a a child's stubborn antics? Why do you get up in the middle of the night and feed your baby? Why do you play endless games of memory on the floor? Why do you buy them clothes and even forego some of your own options? Why do you teach them to go potty and to have table manners and to write thank you notes and any number of different things? Why do you do it? Why do you give of yourself over and over again? We may answer with some of our unbelieving friends, a wonderful and honorable answer is for the good of my children. That's a a good answer. But it's Christless. And that is not the gospel that we preach. 
this would not be a worthy cause in the grand scheme of things because there is someone far more valuable and worthwhile than our children. I want them, of course, to turn out well and I, I can sacrifice myself toward the end that they'd be a better person. I, 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 we may even give a, a little bit better of an answer that we want them to be a Christian, to be saved, to be discipled. And this is certainly true. It's exactly the right answer that we want. And we should be going after this. Biblically founded, that's exactly right. But that cannot be our ultimate motivation. It must not be. I will caution you also in the midst of this, be careful. I can attest to many brokenhearted families, mothers in particular, who have not seen the desired results of their godly parenting. And their children have made ruin of their lives. I just want to remind you that children are people too, with volition, with desires, and they are accountable to God for their actions. Being a godly mother will not automatically produce godly children. It must be a work of God. And we know this. And yet we so easily turn that into one of our motivations as though that's what we're really going after. I just want to be careful here that we don't set that up as an idol. I say that and I want to recognize that, again, this is the right desire. And in fact, this is one of the things that we're pursuing. But it is underneath something greater, something far more important. We recognize that we want them to be faithful disciples of Christ. So let us strive for to faithfully raise godly children. But remember that sacrificing cannot ultimately be for our children or to our children. So again, I want to go back to the question in the midst of our sacrifice, why do you do it? We know the answer. Our children are not God. They are not worthy of such worship and sacrifice. God alone is worthy of a life that's lived out as a living sacrifice. Only God is the proper object of our living obediently in sacrifice. My hope for us today is that you will see that the task of God-honoring motherhood with all its sacrifices and difficulties is an act of obedience that requires that your whole person be laid down as a sacrifice to God, not to your child. Our sacrifice must not be fueled by personal fulfillment or by duty alone or even by the love that we have for our children, but rather it must be fueled by the ultimate and glorious worth of God, our King himself. Our obedience, and in this case, I'm talking about raising children, our obedience must flow out of our understanding of who God is and what he has done. Our sacrifice must have its basis in the love and mercy of God. Our sacrifice must look to the cross, both for its motivation, but also for its power to do what it's been called to do. Is not God's work in Jesus all about the sacrifice that was made so that God might receive glory and that we might receive blessing? The sacrifice and suffering of Jesus is, is what calls us to the same task. I mean, it is the action that wells up with a great amount of gratitude because it understands who we are and all that we have been given in Christ. It is true worship to respond as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, obediently accomplishing all that God has called us to do in his law. Not in our own power, but in his alone, out of gratitude by the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that each one of you can understand the call from Romans 12 today. You don't have to be a mother to benefit from this message at all. The same is true for any task that we realize that we are supposed to obediently respond to God for each and every one of us. 
Each of us has to respond to the mercy of God by living lives of praise to God, lives of sacrificial worship. And as an aside, if I can just speak to everyone who is not a mother for a moment, that's other children, that's other women and men especially, I want to take this day as well to remind you to look at mothers who have sacrificed and allow us to learn from them, to recognize what it looks like. Sometimes good examples, sometimes not so good examples, but we watch as mothers sacrifice over and over again for their children. Men, especially listen up, we ought to be the first to give ourselves as a sacrifice within our family. Not for them. That is not the ultimate goal. But as unto Christ, so that we would serve them. Because remember what Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and give myself as a ransom for many. Moms, I want to just end by saying Happy Mother's Day. You are called to a wonderful and glorious task and most likely it will never be over until you pass away. And it's wider than just your biological children. I want to call you to that as well. I am thankful, though, for godly women within our own congregation who have been faithful both to love their own family and others who teach other women along the side and say, come along, love Christ, love your husband, love your children, and this is what it looks like. So I want to uphold you in prayer and thank you for the service that you are doing in your own families and for those within our body. If you remember, though, I began in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Carry on in doing well. I'm not promising wonderful results of your own children's life even. I, I cannot do that. The Bible doesn't promise as though they're going to be superstars. But we have a worthy object of our sacrifice, which is to our God, who sees all things, and if we in, in, in due season, we will reap if we not give up. I'll finish by returning to the words that provided us such a wonderful, helpful basis for true godly sacrifice. I'm going to go back to Romans 11, read verse 33 through 12, 1, then we'll pray. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for opening the way to your Father. God, we come before you. We pray in the Spirit asking that you would continue to work in us through this text. We are thankful for your great love. We are thankful for the acts of sacrifice in Jesus. And we recognize that you call us to join in your sufferings. And we know that in your sufferings, we, rem we remember that if we suffer with you, we will also reign with you. We will also live with you we will also be comforted in you. We thank you for your great love, and I pray that you'd empower those women today who are mothers, that they would do this high and God-honoring task to your honor and glory, that they would sacrifice not for their family in the sense that that's the end goal, but Lord, that they would sacrifice to you as a reasonable act of worship that is spiritual and total. I pray that you would teach each of us then to respond in this way to all that you have done that you might 
receive honor and glory and power by our own lips and actions. We love you and ask your Holy Spirit to work in us. And Jesus, we need your power to do so. It's in your name we pray.